On this episode of Mike Drop Dallas, we're talking about the latest developments around the 2026 World Cup coming to town. It'll be here before you know it. So get in the know here on season three, episode eight. Let's drop the mic and let's go. Welcome to Mike Drop Dallas, everyone, the official podcast of the Dallas Sports Commission. Kevin Sullivan here, along with Monica Paul, the executive director of the Dallas Sports Commission, and our on-air producer, Next Level, Marcus Carr. Monica, Next Level and I are going to turn the tables a little bit and interview you as our as our first guest. This is our last episode for a little bit as we take just a little bit of a uh, summer break. And we want our listeners to know everything they need to know about World Cup coming in twenty uh, in twenty twenty six. But first, just a quick note: lots going on in DFW sports as always. The Rangers are in first place. Might drop moment there. Stars made it to the conference finals before running into a Vegas Golden Knights buzzsaw. We record this on the day of Game Four. I'll be out there tonight at the AAC doing my best. WNBA underway with the wings off to a good start. And, of course, the KitchenAid Senior PGA Championship is underway at PGA Frisco, the first of many major championships coming to the new home of the PGA. Uh, so before we but before we dive into uh, uh, World Cup, anything uh, uh, not World Cup related happening at the Sports Commission that you want to preview since this will be our last episode for, for a little bit? Well, we're finishing up this weekend, Big 12 uh, Baseball Championships at a Globe Life Park, uh, big USA Volleyball, US Opens, and their annual meeting taking place in Dallas at the Convention Center through Memorial Day weekend and into, into next week as well. Probably our main focus will kind of go back to soccer uh, a little bit, as we do have the CONCACAF Gold Cup quarterfinal taking place in, in July over at AT&T Stadium, but Really, uh, we're going to get into a bid uh, season here uh, a little bit uh, in June. The NCAA opens up a four to five year bids, four to five year bid cycle for all of their championships events outside of the men's and women's final four. So uh, some other great opportunities for, you know, possibly frozen for women's volleyball championships. There's a lot of interest from numerous universities here within the DFW area to engage in maybe some golf championships. Um, so that'll be a, a big focus for us. Uh, CONCACAF Nations League finals for 24 Copa America bid was just due. So uh, anticipating a lot more of the bid activity this summer because our Truthfully, our, our event schedule gets a little lighter, which uh, we welcome sometimes for at least a few weeks. To, to I, I know you love bid career. season, and it's a lot of, tons of work goes into it, so good luck with, with all of those. Uh, I can't think of a better area to bring golf to and volleyball and everything else. As, as we know, uh, we, this is a rocking sports market, and people love coming here. Uh, all right, let's set the stage on World Cup 26, 20, uh, 2026. Named host city in June of 2022, thanks to the hard work and leadership of you and this, your team at the Sports Commission, along with uh, all the, the, the local uh, businesses and the pro teams and, of course, FC Dallas and the Hunt family and you know, huge news. Uh, 
it'll be the World Cup will be contested in 16 North American cities between June 8th and July 3rd, 2026. 11 cities in the U.S., of course, including right here out at AT&T Stadium. Two cities in Canada, three in Mexico. Marcus, take it away. You know, like Sully mentioned, you know, uh, named host city in last June. You know, since then, you know, what uh, kinds of preparations are already underway from your from your team in FIFA? Well, um, kind of a lot in many directions. Obviously, we're still working on a transformation plan uh, at AT&T Stadium with their staff and FIFA on you know what preparations need to be made to the stadium mainly over in the in the corner areas uh for for the pitch size so still working through that uh a lot of work has gone into getting the structure uh put together for our host committee so hopefully here within the next two weeks all of that will be finalized and we'll be able to roll that out and uh, get moving um some analysis uh for host city supporter programs has been going on uh each city has the opportunity to engage and uh, sell and acquire partners uh for the world cup uh, only 10 of them so uh, we're trying to evaluate what assets do we have what uh, opportunities to you know create events leading up to the world cup uh, that uh, different organizations or families or companies or, you know, or, or already possibly some of uh, FIFA's global partners may want to engage in here locally. Um, discussions around legacy programs uh, and, and continuing to build those out, uh, probably the main functions. And then obviously, I know we're going to talk about brand launch, but that has been uh, uh, pretty uh, um, busy over the last month, month and a half uh, preparing for that. You know, you just mentioned the brand launch. We took it an extra step uh, closer to to the World Cup 2026, um, and everybody has asked this question, and so I'm I'm just going to ask it. When do you th think we'll know what games we're getting? Yes, it is the hottest question to talk about World Cup. Uh, well, um, we're fairly confident that in September. Uh, of this year, uh, FIFA will announce the match schedule, uh, which will give all of the uh, host cities an idea of here's the number of matches, here's the level of matches, uh, here's the date timelines. We know the final will be played on July 19th, uh, but still kind of waiting and confirming on that that start time or date. What is the uh, the timeline of key dates, Monica, in terms of everything from volunteer registration, vendor opportunities, even tickets on sale. How does all of that roll out? Yeah, so uh, at the end of June, we'll get some updated host city requirements. Uh, so cities will have a true idea of here, kind of all of our responsibilities, uh, any updates from maybe what had what we had seen when we were in the bid process five, six years ago. Um, anticipating that after that match schedule, uh, I think that's when we're looking to start engaging with our host city supporters. Uh, and then FIFA won't actually have tickets out on sale until 2024. So uh, there'll be some different rollouts that take place there, uh, but they'll control all of those tickets uh, along with any of the hospitality partners that they that they choose. Uh, in terms of signing up for volunteer, you can go to the, our, our website right now, dallasfwc26.com. 
and uh, sign up to be put on a list to that you're interested in volunteering. We don't have volunteer opportunities uh, up yet, but um, as we start to do a little bit more activations, have ancillary events that are pertaining to the World Cup in 2026, probably starting in 2024, uh, we'll definitely have those opportunities. So uh, that'll kind of be an, an evolving um, door there. Uh, I do know that FIFA is sending out uh, different vendor uh, opportunities more in the branding and awareness. Uh, so I think uh, as they're looking to find local vendors, some of that will start this year um, and go all the way through 2026. So we'll try to share those opportunities out through our, you know, whether it's social channels or um, through our MWBE programs here at the Sports Commission to be able to share those opportunities out uh, here locally. Some people will remember when World Cup was here in 94, the International Broadcast Center was also here out at Fair Park. Uh, I know you bid again for that and are kind of down to the to the wire there. When do you expect to know about whether or not uh, Dallas has been chosen as the International Broadcast Center? Yeah, well, we're, we're in a little bit of a holding pattern now. I actually just uh, sent some notes and messages about this yesterday. Uh, like, hello, we need to have an, uh, an idea because truthfully, we do need a lot of uh, renovations uh, that need to take place at Fair Park in those buildings if that is going to take, if we are going to be hosting, those renovations are already planned, they're happening regardless if we get the International Broadcast Center or not, but uh, starting to have some concern on a timing standpoint since uh, we are already to the middle of uh, 2023 almost. Uh, honestly, I, I feel like it's any day. Um, we've uh, pretty much answered any of the questions that uh, FIFA has as it pertains to the International Broadcast Center, uh, looking at some, you know, other opportunities or some other additional ancillary space uh, that could enhance that experience. So <clears throat> we're in a, a holding pattern, a wait and see right now. So, but I don't, I anticipate that knowing that answer here much sooner than uh, September with the match schedule. You know, it is really early, but based on, you know, all the World Cups you've attended um, in the past, what types of community activations, fan experiences can we expect uh, beyond the matches? Well, there'll definitely be fan festival. So uh, each host city has to uh, host a fan festival that takes place Every day of the World Cup, regardless if you have a match in your market uh, on that day. So you're looking 35, 40 days worth of fan festivals taking place. Uh, I think in, a, in addition, you know, because of the scope of our region and the, and the various cities, and um, we want to make sure that we have either fan festivals or fan zones to really incorporate that World Cup spirit and have all of our international visitors and guests be able to experience the different um you know cities and flavors within within our region so incorporating fort worth and frisco obviously arlington has a stadium but uh you know what are some special things that we can do around uh, texas live and at choctaw stadium uh so uh a lot, of, a lot of different opportunities there. Uh, I think you'll start to see in 24 uh, high, a higher brand presence of uh, that 2026 logo in the downtown areas that'll like permanent installations and those types of things too. 
We're going to bring Jeff Carlisle on here in a, in a moment uh, to talk a little bit about the branding and, you know, all of that. We unveiled the Dallas brand last week. Monica, can you give some thoughts on 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 that aspect of uh, of moving the process along? Yeah, so it was a process that uh, really started, I guess, back in February. And in truth, last August, uh, FIFA uh, asked each city sent us a questionnaire basically asking them you know a lot of brand questions uh they already had some thoughts but at least uh, allowed us to provide some feedback uh of that and then came to dallas in february and unveiled what uh was our very first look at this 2026 brand and the holistic from our overarching fifa brand and what that looked like, and then kind of explain the different thoughts on colors, how they came up with colors uh, for each city. Obviously, for us focusing more on the Dallas, we we got to see snippets of some of the other cities, but that actually where we saw everything come together was a little bit later uh, over the last month, month and a half in that process. So uh, a lot of meetings, and we really did do uh, or try to incorporate all of our uh, main, you know, larger regional cities here and had representation from Dallas, from Fort Worth, from Frisco, from Arlington, uh, various CBD, CBBs, um, FC Dallas, obviously the Cowboys and AT&T Stadium with their brand inclusion incorporated into it. So um, I think it's still evolving uh, at the same time. So we, we'll continue to have biweekly um, meetings um to kind of discuss the playbook messaging that goes around it uh, incorporation of a lot of different uh, marketing uh, elements because even though we had that brand launch last week uh, obviously that is something that has to continue uh, all the way through 2026 and really have a build up there monica you've given us a lot to think about all exciting we'll continue the conversation with ESPN senior writer Jeff Carlisle in just a few minutes. But first, over to Rachel with a word from one of our sponsors. The Perot Museum of Nature and Science plays a vital role in preparing the most talented and diverse STEM workforce of tomorrow right here in Dallas. Become a member today and enjoy free admission and other valuable benefits to support this nonprofit landmark. Visit perotmuseum.org for more information. Thanks, Rachel. Now we're happy to be joined by ESPN senior writer Jeff Carlisle. Covers soccer, been at the Worldwide Leader for more than 13 years. Jeff, welcome to Mike Drop Dallas. Appreciate you making some time for us. Hey, thanks for having me on. So lots to talk about here, uh, Jeff. Uh, but before we get to the 2026 uh, FIFA World Cup, Women's World Cup starts here July 20th in stadiums across Australia and New Zealand. Can you give us a preview? preview of what to expect there yeah I mean it's going to be a fantastic event I think and and one that's going to generate a, a ton of excitement in the United States I mean I, I think that's true for any World Cup uh, whether it's a men's World Cup or a women's World Cup but you know given the women's team's dominant place in in the in the world of women's soccer I, I think there's always a a little bit of extra excitement that, that accompanies that tournament. Um, you know, expectations are always incredibly high for that team. Uh, it, it's amazing. It's, I mean, and you know, you see it throughout sports. It's like, 
you know, if if you don't win, then you know questions start to get asked, you know, about what happened. So, um, you know, in terms of the U.S. team, uh, it's they're at an interesting place. I mean, they they've tried to, you know, Vlaka and Danovsky, the managers, tried to bring in some new players, but you know, they've had some some tough injuries with uh, Mallory Swanson and and now Katarina Macario, both are set to miss the tournament. Um, but fortunately for the U.S., they have such a deep team that I think they'll they'll be able to to compensate for that. Um, but yeah, it's just it's it's a lot of excitement. I'm I'm looking forward to going. I'm going to be in New Zealand for the group stage. Um, they're two fantastic countries, uh, you know, and Australia is just a sports mad country, as is New Zealand. Um, usually, that's that's centered around you know rugby like but um and you know aussie rules football for for australia but um they love their soccer too so uh you know it's going to be i think a, a fantastic event and yeah again i'm really looking forward to going and seeing how the u.s team does so i have one more non-world cup question for you uh our fc dallas is off to a pretty good start here uh mls also just announced the expansion to San Diego, what do you think uh, is driving the impressive growth uh, in the MLS? Well, I just think the, the sport itself continues to gain more and more acceptance. I mean, <laughs> I'm 58 years old, so I'm old enough to remember when when soccer was, was kind of looked down upon as, you know, not really a sport, you know, not really something that people should spend their time uh, concentrating on. But I, I think, you know, over, you know, ever since World Cup 94, I think, and even before that, there's been a slow, steady progression where the game has kind of become more ingrained in the in the sports consciousness in the United States. Um, you see it every World Cup, but you see it in MLS, just with, with again, the, the number of expansion teams. You know, they just announced team number 30, like you said. Uh, the NWSL, I think, is poised for a period of, of really rapid growth. Um, you know, they just announced a team in the San Francisco Bay area where I live. And, uh, you know, I think there's another one in Boston that's expected to come down the pike. So, uh, and, and then the youth game has always been super strong and, and Dallas knows that well with the Dallas cup. Um, you know, that's, that's a tournament that a lot of fantastic players have kind of, uh, maybe announced themselves to the world a little bit or given the world a little bit of a preview of, of what they can do. So, you know, I, I think all of those things, when, when you add them up, uh, it it's created an environment where the game has, has been able to grow from a fan perspective, from an investment perspective. And I think you've seen uh, good results in the field, too. You know, it was good to see that the U.S. men get to the last World Cup. And like I mentioned before, the women are always fantastic and and, and favorites to, to win world titles. So, again, I, I think it's been a real healthy mix of factors that have seen the game grow. So now transitioning over to this uh, 2026 uh, World Cup logo. I want to get your thoughts, Jeff, on, on the logo and the logo announcement uh, that FIFA did last week. Um, I got to admit, I when I first saw it, I was like, okay, that's it? Because <laughs> it seemed kind of plain to me. And I, I think FIFA would have been better off if they had shown, I think, the various logos from all the cities. And listen, I, I get how each city kind of wanted to have, 
you know, a moment where this the, had the stage to themselves and and was able to, uh, you know, kind of highlight what what makes their town unique and and what they're going to bring to the tournament. Um, but it was, you know, I mean, I just remember the past logos from you know going all the way back to you know to Spain '82. I mean, you know, it was always a little bit more intricate and so th this one was was very simple in its design um but i think uh i think like you said earlier you know i, I think this is going to evolve a little bit and you know i, I think we're going to see you know more elements as time goes on about the tournament and also the uniqueness that each city is going to bring to the to the tournament as well yeah i i would agree even when i was watching the announcements uh, out of LA on that Wednesday night, I believe, knowing that our brand launch was happening at 5 a.m. the next morning, I was, as I was sitting there, I'm like, you know, it doesn't resonate or it's, it's, it's missing something if you don't like unveil all of the host city logos at once. So I do think that maybe that might have been a better uh, approach there. So Jeff, you know, I think some of the feedback on the, on the logos is, well, one, this is the first time the logo includes the World Cup trophy, but two, uh, not having the logo, the overall one, not the city-specific ones, incorporate the the different countries, the three different countries that uh, are hosting this World Cup. Thoughts on thoughts on that at all? Yeah, I mean, it, it makes for a kind of a, a a tricky set of circumstances because. You know, it's not just one country celebrating its its culture. You know, celebrating the fact that it's hosting this tournament. I mean, you've got you got three very different countries. I mean, they they might all be in North America, but you know, it's you know every every single you know one of the three is bringing something unique, and so um so I think that that was definitely a challenge. Um, but I think you know as time goes on, uh. You know, I think the fact that they are all different, I think it's going to bring something really special to this tournament. And, um, you know, obviously Mexico, they love their football. Um, you know, they, they they love the sport and they have a huge history with it, uh, you know, ho having hosted the tournament, um, you know, previously, um, you know, Canada hosted a Women's World Cup. So I mean, and obviously their men's team is is started to to really make strides, and 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 their women, you know, have, have been very good as well. I mean, they've they've kind of been the main rival for the U.S., you know, back in the days, and um and then then they won the Olympics too. So uh, again, and then you know the U.S. I think there's a lot of fond memories of World Cup '94. Um, I wasn't working in journalism then, but um, you know, I went to the a lot of the games as a fan, and it was just. I just remember feeling so much joy seeing my sport, you know, get all that attention, positive attention too. I mean, it was, you know, I just remember the atmosphere of games was fantastic. Um, I can't remember any problems to speak of. Uh, you know, there were some problems with the heat. So, we'll, you know, hopefully with some of the indoor venues that are, are being used this time around, that will help with that. Um, but some great games as well. I mean, I remember the game in Dallas with uh, Brazil and the Netherlands. That was probably the game of the tournament, uh, just in terms of changes in momentum and excitement and um, two great teams on display as well. So, uh, so yeah, that, you know, that's my thoughts on that. 
Jeff, we were here in Dallas named by the Sports Business Journal as the number one city in America in which to conduct sports business. Obviously, uh, FIFA bringing World Cup here played a role in that calculation. And we'll also take Dallas as a sports destination to a, yet another uh, level. We, we have a lot going for us here, clearly. But what do you think was most appealing to FIFA about coming back to Dallas and 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 especially considering how many cities bid and you know not everybody who bid got you know, there's 11 cities but almost 20 right or so uh we're in the we're in the competition so what do you think FIFA saw in DFW well I think they saw a few things I mean I think they saw history um not just the World Cup I mean Dallas has continued uh, you know, the Dallas area has continued to host soccer events uh, since that time. Um, I think you look at AT&T Stadium. I think they looked at that venue and um, the amount of people it can hold. I mean, was it 92,000? Am I right on that? Um, you know, I think, you know, when, when FIFA thinks about the number of fans that are going to be able to attend these games and the number of tickets that are going to be sold, I mean, you know, Dallas is going to be a big part of that. and. Um, you know, I think culturally, this the city has shown a, a huge affinity for the game. Um, you know, like I said earlier, you know, with, with Dallas Cup, you know, with FC Dallas, you know, with the events that they've hosted over the year. I think the first time I went to AT&T Stadium was the 2017 Gold Cup. I mean, that six years ago. So, um, you know, I, I think it's just, I, I think Dallas just has a lot of, it checks a lot of different boxes. And so, you know, I think when you add that all together, um, also the fact that it's, you know, in, in the central time zone, I think, you know, you want some geographical dispersion, if you will, uh, in terms of what your host cities are. And uh, there's always going to be a huge concentration on the East Coast, a little bit on the West Coast, but, you know, you need, you need team, you know, cities in the center of the country as well. And so I think when you add it all up, you know, Dallas was, was kind of a no brainer. You know, Monica laid out the timeline a little bit. Do you want to make a prediction on where the final uh, ends up? Ooh, yeah. I mean, I think Dallas is in the running again, just because of that stadium. And you know, obviously, they they've hosted Super Bowls and 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 whatnot. Um, you know, I, I keep hearing L.A. I mean, the fact that I was in L.A. You know, for that event that that Monica alluded to. Um, I think there were a lot of questions from the local press there about whether they were going to get the final, but, you know, Johnny Infantino was not going to be drawn into that. Um, right. You know, we'll see. You know, I, I think the candidates are, are New York, LA and Dallas. And um, again, I think it's because of that, that stadium. I mean, they just, again, it, it's hosted big events. Um, and it's a fantastic venue. I mean, you walk, you know, I've walked in there and just mm -hmm. kind of been in awe. So, uh, you know, I, I think those three are probably the front runners for that. We're optimistic, but we're not going to we're not going to talk about it too much, right, Monica? Okay. One more. I know a lot can happen in three years, but let's look in your crystal ball one more time and think. Let's come, talk a little bit about who you think might be on the on the roster. Who is shaping up? You know, from three years from now to be some of the mainstays on the U.S. team. Well, I think a lot of the the narrative around the 2022 team that went to Qatar um, was how young it was. You know, there was, it was a lot of young players who were, were just starting out 
maybe not necessarily just starting out, but really just starting to establish themselves at big clubs in Europe. Um, you had guys like Christian Pulisic, Weston McKinney, um, Tyler Adams. I mean, I think those are the three big names that I would still expect to be in the team, health permitting. I mean, that's always an issue. Uh, would still be in the team when, when 2026 rolls around. I mean, Tyler Adams is the captain. He was the captain in, in Qatar. And I think he's just a super impressive guy. I mean, just the way that he carries himself. I mean, I remember during the press conference prior to the Iran match, him being thrown some some pretty prickly questions from the Iran press. And he just handled them with so much composure and so much grace. And obviously he's a fantastic player in the field too. I mean, he, he wouldn't be in the team if he wasn't. So, um, and he, he, he brings, you know, a bite and, a, and an energy and a tenacity that, that every team needs. And so, um, and then Christian Pulisic, I think is the other one that, that should be there. Um, you know, he will see what his club situation uh, ends up being. It looks like he's going to leave Chelsea, but um, you know, he's, the most dynamic attacking player that the U.S. has at the moment. Um, and then Weston McKinney, he, he's kind of the, the do-everything guy, a Dallas product. Um, so, uh, you know, I think he'll – I think he's another guy that will be in the mix as well. You know, we were all blown away here a couple of years ago by Ricardo Pepe during his FC Dallas, uh, this incredible run that he had. Where is he in the he, – he didn't make it uh, – uh, for the 22 team was in the final consideration. I know his career hasn't necessarily gone exactly uh, as the trajectory may have seemed when he was here, but what, give us a quick update on Ricardo Pepe. You know, he's on an, an upward trajectory again. Um, you know, he Good. was with Augsburg in the Bundesliga and, and really struggled. Um, but then he was loaned out to a team in the Netherlands called Groningen um the team didn't do very well uh you know, they got relegated but he ended up having a really good season so he's he had i think 12 goals um for a not very good team so uh and and he's generating a lot of interest from some of the top teams in the netherlands now um you know feyenoord and and psv eindhoven so th those are two big dutch clubs that are showing some interest in him um i think that would be a great move for him because the Dutch league is one that, that really develops players, really hones them. Um, you know, you think about a guy like Michael Bradley from the U S who played in, in, in Holland for a while, you know, that, that stint served him well. Uh, Josie Altador is another one who, who did well uh, when he was there in, in, with Azed Alakmar. So I think if, if Pepe stays in Holland, but gets to a bigger club, you know, then he'll really be put in a position to shine. So I, and he scored a big goal for the U.S. in the Nations League uh, against El Salvador. So that that was a kind of a tough, you know, cagey game. Uh, but he was able to come through for the U.S. So, uh, you know, I, I think he had that that initial, you know, meteoric rise. You know, and then it leveled off a little bit. But now I think he's on an upward trajectory again. So I think a lot of fans are, are still, you know, they still have big hopes for, for Ricardo Pepe. Before we let you go, we have... I noticed that you have a degree from Northwestern or two degrees, maybe in computer science and mechanical engineering, way too much math and science for me, Jeff, but you know, you spent, you started out as a software engineer. It looks like you spent six years at Oracle. How the heck did you end up as a senior writer at ESPN covering soccer? 
with a background as a software engineer? Man, how much time do you have? Um, yeah, so it was the end of 99. And I, I did the Oracle thing for six years. And then I worked for a startup for six years. And we went public and had the rocket ride and then cratered and, you know, kind of the dead cat bounce after that. And we got acquired. And, you know, that's a working for a startup is is intense. Um, and it really just personally, it, it took a lot out of me. And, you know, I kind of decided that that wasn't really what I wanted to do anymore. I mean, I wanted, I was looking for something different. And so I played soccer in college. Um, so I already had a little bit of a background in the game and I, I got into coaching. And then a guy that I met in coaching ran a website that covered soccer in the San Jose area. And I thought, ah, you know, that, that seems like it might be a lot of fun. You know, it get me connected to the game in, in a different way. And so he, he took me on sight unseen. Um, and then I kind of just, chipped away at it. You know, I did that for a little bit, started stringing for newspapers, started reaching out to magazines. And then around 2005, I reached out to ESPN and it was, uh, I guess you could say the rest is history. I mean, it was kind of an extended tryout, but they liked what I did. And, um, you know, it was, I'd say it was, you know, it was like a five-year process before I actually started writing for ESPN. So it was just, uh, something that I kind of fell in love with and, and was able to, to make work. But yeah, I mean, I've listened, I've done things in this job that I never thought I'd get to do, you know, go to world cups, you know, go to Copa Americas, um, meet fantastic players. Uh, yeah, it, it's been, it's been an incredible ride and uh, yeah, it, it's been really enjoyable. So Jeff, you're going into kind of the topic of my next question of, I, also, uh, sometimes, uh, I took this last semester off, teach at SMU introductory course, uh, really contemporary issues in sport management. And uh, this is where the, the students are trying to figure out if they want to continue on and actually get a degree in sport management or, or not. Uh, and where I try to tell them it's not all about, uh, it's not all fun uh, sometimes, but uh, try to give them advice along the way. So, uh, for those that, you know, may want to be uh, right for ESPN or, you know, be in sports or journalism or uh, broadcasters, whatever it may be, what advice uh, would you give them uh, to help them uh, on their journey? Yeah, I mean, try to find as many outlets for your work as you can, whether it's, you know, your own website, whether it's the school newspaper, or, you know, if you're in high school, whether it's the yearbook, you know, just try to find as many outlets for your writing as you can, just so that you can develop, you know, it's, it's, you know, writing is like a muscle, it, it requires repetition. And, you know, you, you've got to keep doing it, you know, otherwise, you know, your skills are going to get stale. I mean, if I had one regret about my career, it's that I only speak English, I don't speak Spanish. I mean, I think being multilingual, not just in, 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 in print journalism, but I think in any kind of journalistic endeavor, I think being multilingual is a huge, huge asset. I mean, I speak what I call survival Spanish. If I go to a, a, a country in Central America or if I go to Mexico, I mean, I speak enough Spanish to get around, but um, certainly it's not, I'm not proficient in it enough to, to, uh, to do an interview or anything like that. So um, and then that just, 
not even from the interview aspect, just the making connections aspect. I mean, if we're multilingual, it's just a lot easier to develop relationships and uh, and and get to know people um, in their native tongue. So, I mean, I just think that's a huge advantage uh, and, and something that I wish I'd spent a little bit more time on when when I was coming through. What what recommendation do you have, Jeff, for Dallas area, you know, avid sports fans who are not soccer fans? What should they be doing now to get ready? for 2026? I mean, just start consuming the game. I mean, just start exposing yourself to the game. I mean, in whatever way that they want to do that. Now, if that means getting up on a Saturday morning and watching the Premier League, great. If that means going to an MLS game, fantastic. If that means going to watch college soccer, I mean... Any of those things. I mean, you know, it's you know, people, the, the game is so vast. I mean, it has so many different levels and, you know, the, the same, the same level isn't going to appeal to everybody. Um, you know, for some people it's, it's watching their, their local club, you know, whether it's a, a USL team or, or any of the other leagues that are out there. So, I mean, just start absorbing as much of the game as you can. And, uh, um, it's not for everybody. I mean, I personally, I don't know how people watch golf. I mean, I don't, <laughs> but, but again, that's just me. So, um, you know, and you don't know what part of that sport is going to grab you. I, I remember I grew up in South Florida and we had an NESL team back in the day and it, it was our team. It wasn't Miami. It was, it was Fort Lauderdale. That's, that's where I grew up. And so, you know, that was what really kind of, just got me hooked on the game. And so, uh, you know, you never know when that, that light's going to go on for somebody in terms of becoming a fan of the sport. And I, and my, I guess my point in all this is that there's a, a lot of different entry points where you can get into it. I mean, some people get into it through their kids, through, through youth soccer. So, I mean, there, there's all kinds of uh, different ways that, that people can be exposed to the game, uh, enjoy the game. Uh, but yeah, start now because uh, that way, when when twenty twenty six rolls around, you know you won't be playing catch up, and and uh, you can enjoy the game and enjoy what's going on even more. It seems like a long way off, but it'll be here before you know. Oh it. yeah, so, it, it, it's it's crazy how like a World Cup cycle just you know you, you think it's four years and and then you blink and it's over. So yeah, it's well, it's going to come up quick. Yeah, thanks so much for joining us today, Jeff. We really appreciate your time. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, and on behalf of Monica Paul and the Dallas Sports Commission, we appreciate Jeff joining us today. Thanks to the Mike Drop production team, Next Level Marcus Carr, Jason Kurtz of Tony Fay PR, of course, our showrunner, Tony Fay. Until next time, we'll be back in a little bit after taking a few weeks off. Thanks for listening, everybody.